business owners likely will have only one shot to sell a business. Most don't understand what drives value and how buyers look at a business. Until now. Welcome to the How to Sell a Business podcast, where every week we talk to the subject matter experts, advisors, and those around the deal table about how to sell at maximum value. Every business will go to sell one day. It's only a matter of when. We're glad you're here. The podcast starts now. One of the most requested topics that I that we feel from uh, our listeners is to talk about trucking. And and I went on a quest to find who's the authority in, in the trucking industry that could talk to me about you know just what it takes to sell a trucking company. And and the the fact of the matter is you just don't know how much trucking is a part of everyday life. This is a twelve trillion dollar industry that we're dealing with. And and it affects ev- literally Everything that we do has some level of trucking somewhere. So I had the opportunity. I found the Tenney Group and Spencer Tenney is, is the president and CEO of that organization. And he is really the authority in trucking. He's a, he's second generation. His dad started the, the business and he got into it as a, as a deal maker and truly he educated me on so much. Uh, you know, so many things about the trucking industry that I just didn't understand. He, their, their practice is, is predominantly, you know, bigger than, than the, the folks that we normally see. But the same, the same things that we talked about are applicable. So he, and, and I think what you'll see and hear in, in the podcast is that the planning and how you approach Succession is, is, I don't want to say the same, but there's nuances that will make a huge difference in the sale of a trucking company. And that's what's important when you find a deal maker. So, and I would also be remiss is that Spencer also has his own podcast called the hot seat. And he certainly picked up a new subscriber. And I hope, I hope you'll. Especially those that have asked for this type of episode, I hope you enjoy it because it was, I learned a lot and I think you will too, especially when it comes to the nuances of making a great deal. So enjoy my conversation with Spencer Tenney of the Tenney Group. Well, welcome to the show, Spencer. Good to be with you, Ed. Thanks for having me. Well, I, before you came on, I, I had a, I, I kind of gave a, a quick overview of you and uh, from your bio and and uh, and about the the Tenny Group, but uh, I probably didn't do it justice. So if you don't mind, just take a couple minutes and and talk about your M and A shop and what you're doing. I, I'm a third generation transportation guy. Uh, my dad drove a beer truck, drove a taxi in, in, in the Dallas back in the fifties and the sixties, and. Uh, my dad swore he'd never get in transportation. Uh, I swore I'd never get in transportation. And here we are, um, you know, 50 years later, advising on deals. And so really got started. My dad started advising on business sales and acquisitions back in 1973. And uh, I joined up with him about 20 years ago. And I'd always watched him, you know, come alongside folks that literally make America move. They're the folks that are moving freight, moving passengers. And I was always kind of 
fascinated by the folks building these businesses and what um, the role that my dad played in helping them kind of come at that last moment and help them, you know, realize the American dream and exit and, you know, begin a whole new chapter of life. And so I went out and tried to do some other things, uh, uh, failed horribly in the music industry and did some other things. Uh, <laughs> but, but ultimately just couldn't shake that, that, that high of, of helping business owners um, go to the next level and, and, and exit. And so I, I teamed up with him. We worked together about 20 years. And then uh, here we are today. I, I bought him out about five years ago, and that's what we do. We focus exclusively on primarily sell-side advisory, transportation logistics companies all across the United States. And the pocket that we focus on is kind of in that lower middle market of 20 to $300 million in annual revenue. And you know, right now we have about 19 sell-side engagements that fit that profile. And it's just a, it's a privilege doing what we do. Well. It, it, it is. And, you know, you got one of the best shops in the land. I mean, it, I, when I, when I invite people and we do, we do, a, we do some pretty good vetting on, you know, who's, who's kind of the subject matter expert and, and, and your name kept coming up. So I'm, I'm, I'm real excited to, to, to visit about, you know, just, just, just what makes the, your practice special. And, and, and I guess the, the, and that kind of leads me to my first question is that trucking, there's different silos of trucking. Can you talk a, a little bit? Uh, let's start there. Where, what is, what is trucking? I know we got long haul and, and short haul, but there's, there's more subset, seg, sub, sub, Oh yeah. I mean, to, it, to it, it's a whole universe in itself. I mean, you say just, you know, trucking logistics and, and, but, um, you know, when you think about a, the global market, you're talking about like a twelve trillion dollar yep. global logistics transportation <laughs> logistics market. It's enormous, and so you start breaking that into the verticals. Like, I mean, I'll just name off just with what we represent right now. I mean, we have the liquid bulk, we've got you know, dry bulk, mm-hmm. we've got refrigerated trucking, you've got your traditional drive-in, you know, you've got your flatbed, you've got drayage on the ports, you've got intermodal. And so, like, there's there there's a host, of, and of course, three PL and your brokers that are the asset light light component of that. And then you have warehousing. So all these things that make the supply chain, um, you know, the, the greatest invention of humankind. I mean, like all those things working together. That's what we work. <laughs> so, so when we when we have a you know a, an industry as as broad as as trucking, you know, different areas tend to command higher values not to not to imply that they don't have value but it seems as though what is what seems to be the hottest area to be in right now i think the main thing is is you know what where we can get a sense for that is where is the highest demand for you know what types of companies are being acquired right. and i think when you and you have a market like this where the freight's pretty soft right now you look at all the in terms of economically what's happening the last two years, I mean, it was it was the wild, wild west. I mean, people, people were getting pretty much whatever they asked for to move freight. And that's that's changed over the last six to nine months. And so in, in this environment, what buyers are looking for, are what types of companies have insulation from shifts within, you know, the economy and all different types of things? What have what, what who has profits that are insulated from that? So that's where you see. You know, these specialized carriers, we did a deal with Keenan Advantage Group. They're one of the most prolific acquirers in North America and have been for 20 years. And, you know, because of all the things going on, they really wanted to get into the brokerage space. They didn't have any expertise in that, but they went out and hired 
who was the best expert on the brokerage side in terms of transloading and, and, um, you know, dealing in the Petro world as well. And, you know, so that was just their whole deal. It's like, we, we, we want to acquire things that we know that we're not good at. We don't have an expertise. Who's already established that niche expertise. And so I think those are the folks that, um, you know, alternatively, when you look at like your traditional dry van kind of commodity based type deals, like it's very harder for those companies to hold value in good and, you know, more challenging markets. So the folks that really have smaller insulated niche markets, those are the people that are really sought after right now. I get it. So one of the, you had you had talked about the you know the last 18 24 months it was it was go, everything was going great and and one of the the things that in my research for this is that you know as an industry as a whole it's only forecasted to grow like only a a, a point and a third which to me is astounding given given that you know so much manufacturing is coming coming back to the United States coupled with that the retail spending is expected to be higher, which clearly mm-hmm. prompts a higher demand for 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 freight volume. So I'm I'm kind of curious to know how how that you know what I mean. What do you think of that? I mean, it seems to be conflicting. Well, I, I think if you look at it in whole, it's 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 more challenging to make sense of that. But when you kind of break it out into pieces, like what you're describing, kind of that final mile e-commerce component, I mean, you're talking about 20 to 30% year over year growth projected over the next three to five years. That's very different than, you know, some of your more commodity based, some of the things that have direct exposure, you know, when you, when you have major dips in the housing market, which affects construction, when you see Amazon and Walmart lay off thousands of employees, you know, that affects, uh, consumer confidence and that affects freight. And so I, I think so like when you blend all that together, that's why you can uh, only see that, that 1%. I see. I see. I see. I see. So, so, it, so it's a, it, it's, I don't want to say misleading, but it, that, that number is totally misleading. When you start looking into the various silos of, of freight, it, it is substantially different. I, I no, I just think it's incomplete. So, Maybe not misleading. It's just an incomplete yeah, assessment yeah. of like what's that actually happened. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That that that's a much better adjective. What? Um, so what are the what are the issues facing trucking today? I know the the people that 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 everybody that comes on, it's it's a it's a it's an employee issue. So I'm assuming that that trucking's not isn't any different, but I mean, what are these trends and, and challenges that we're facing? So, um, actually the American transportation research Institute led by Rebecca Brewster does a tremendous report each year in trucking in terms of the top 10 issues facing trucking really for the last three or four or five years, you know, the top two have been driver retention and driver, um, recruiting. Yeah, but this last year, 2022, the fir- it was the first year that those have been surpassed in, in, in a couple of years. The number one was driver parking. There's only about one parking spot for about 11, every 11 trucks on the road right now. It's a major crisis. And you think about huh. all of this, all sure. of this stress when these truckers are trying to, you know, they've been on the road for 10 hours. They got to find a place to eat, shower, whatever else and sleep and they can't find anywhere to go. Um, that just adds and compounds the challenge of trying to retain and recruit drivers because of how stressful this job is. And so, you know, we joke about like, you, know, you need to thank a trucker for what they do. Or like, this is a major problem because this is really affecting, 
the morale um, and, and the, um, you know, just the, just the overall experience of, of, of being a trucker. So we got to get this thing fixed. But those top three issues are, are, are pretty major. And then right now, just in terms of being a soft freight market, it's very difficult yeah. for, you know, for, for people to earn the money when the rates on the overall trips are, you know, 15, 20 percent down what they were 18 months ago. And so so all those things combine. Um, and I guess lastly would just be overall, you know, the increase in, in overall operating expense. So it's just very difficult. You're trying to grow. Um, and that's kind of where we come in because while we're seeing so much demand, even despite where we are with interest rates and the economies, because the operating expenses are exploding and the only way to offset that in many cases is through some type of acquisition to offset those rising costs. Yes. So. So th- those are those are some major issues, um, and then lastly, I would probably add um, nuclear verdicts. And just I just saw an article in Transport Topics that um, again confirmed trucking is the highest industry of all industries targeted for nuclear verdicts. These these are these you know nine figure type legal lawsuits um, around injury or personal injury or something else, and, you, and when you start having um, those types of claims, it just explodes the cost of insurance and, and really makes the industry a lot less fun. Yeah, I, I, I want to circle back to what you were saying as far as there's only one space for every 11 drivers. It would I mean, why is that? I mean, it, it, it seems as a crisis, I can totally understand what you're saying, but it, it would seem as though as many truck stops and truck related you know areas that at least we we see you know going up and down 65 it would seem that that's not a problem so i i, I guess i'm i'm uh, that one shocked me I, I everything else you said totally made sense but i was surprised yeah. that we didn't have sufficient we didn't have sufficient spacing for them now and, and i think that you know largely as a as a it's it's not something widely known by the public, but it but it has a tremendous mm. effect on the industry, mm. and um, and we've got to get. I, I think that we're way behind on getting a solution around this, and it's one of those things that just kind of compounded um, very quickly. I think part of that is because when they put the ELD mandates in place, where you know they have computer logs that tell you when the drivers have to sure. get off the road, they can't fake it. So now they have to be. They can't stretch the right. Uh, the limits and keep driving, they have to stop. And so I think that makes, um, you know, forces a lot of the truckers trying to get to the same spots all at the same time. I get it. Well, like I said, it, it's just, you know, years ago, there was such a, a big push to, for people to buy and, you know, the truck stops were being consolidated. I just, like I said, it just, it just caught me by surprise that, I not in a million years would I have thought that that would have been the the one of the biggest challenges facing the industry is is it, especially with as much demand as there was to buy these truck stops. So interesting. Um, the sale process on on a trucking company. I mean, does it? How much different is it for your pre sale work? And then, you know, take and, and then executing the sale versus any normal actions in normal, any other type of business. I mean, you've got financial statements, you got due diligence, you have all the all the criteria that, you know, that that you have to do in order to facilitate a sale. I'm just kind of curious to know what differs in trucking. 
Yeah, I think that there's the the, the, the key things are. I mean, the, the capex element's a huge portion, and trying to understand, um, you know, fleet age, what type of, uh, you know, maybe deferred capex could affect. Like maybe that they they've gone up to a sale, and maybe they have not made the continued investments into their fleet. And so I think savvy buyers understand um, what to expect. And so from a preparation standpoint, what our job is to do, and I was like, hey, we expect to go take this to educated buyers who understand this industry, and we understand how they're going to scrutinize this. So, so part of our preparation is to get way out in front of all of that and to have an answer for all the things in terms of how have they handled their fleet mm-hmm. and their maintenance, how is it going to affect um, uh even moving forward and, and forecasting from a performance standpoint. Uh, but we also want to have a, you know, a compelling growth story. I think there's a lot of different things that, you know, in, in this industry is like, Hey, I could double my business in, you know, overnight if I had the drivers or if I had the equipment. Well, we need to make a defensible case if that is in fact true and, and, and integrate that in, in, in terms of, you know, some of the investment highlights of the deal. But the main thing is, is we just want that the overall performance to be defensible. And we also want to make sure that we fully understand what are the strengths and weaknesses of the business. And then based on what our understanding of the broader buyer universe specific to transportation logistics, where are the best synergistic marriages with those types of buyers? And then how do we customize our presentation specifically to those buyers in a way where they understand Hey, this is a one plus one equals three type scenario for this type of transaction. So I think that like it's you know that it, I don't want to try to like make it something bigger than it's not, but those are a couple of the different nuances that we're very intentional about on the front. We have to do capex, we have to check out safety, we have to look at the driver rosters to understand if there's going to be any safety concerns about transferability of drivers because if you got three hundred drivers and a hundred of them aren't going to meet standard, um, you know, safety measures. Well, we're not going to get that deal done. We need, we need to know that on the front end. Yeah. But one of, uh, a, a friend of mine up in, in, up near Chicago, I mean, she has a, she has a trucking company, but it's, uh, it's predominantly aggregate, you know, they're, they're dump trucks and different things like that. I mean, it, right. And they, and they, they're unionized and they are, they are fighting all the time with, with, just, just not only retention, but just, and it sounds horrible, but the quality of the driver. I mean, that, that, that yeah. there's no, there's no way around it. And, and I just, I, I, I feel for her because, you know, she's, she's getting to that, that age where, you know, she's probably going to start thinking about, you know, what, what is, what is my last third of my life look like? And right. my goodness, that, you know, they're, they're fighting, you know, it, it's it's a it, it's a business full of landmines, and and unfortunately, I'm not certain that she's going to be able to 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 get. I don't want to say not get out from under it. I don't think she's going to be able to command the, the premium value given, you know, how many. Uh, how I will many say this: things. that there are certainly challenges. I think union, you know, that's that's a that's a whole different animal. I don't, I don't even know if that's fair <laughs> right. to compare that apples to apples. There's a reason sure. why people don't want to buy, you know, union driver or, or you know union driver basis when they're looking at trucking companies uh, or any type of company for that matter. But um, I do think that there's some phenomenal companies that have developed these cultures that really understand the mindset of the driver 
how to communicate with them, how to honor them in terms of the work that they're doing. And when you accomplish that, these drivers will, I mean, they'll walk over coals for you. They, they are, I mean, they will yeah, do the job, do it well. And it's an inspiring thing, but it all starts with culture. And I think that if, if, from, if the leadership hasn't laid that out, if they're not leading with how yeah. do we get the best drivers and treat them the best that we can possibly pay them as best as possibly we can, you know, given within reason uh, and, and treat them with the respect. If they're not leading with that, then that's on the leadership. I mean, I think that that's kind of where, where I see it. No, that's a good, that's a great point. Uh, and, and again, regardless, regardless of whether it's union or, or non-union type shops, you're right. I mean, it, it, it's a, I don't know, it, you're right. It, it probably, it's likely a failure of, of leadership. And, and the challenge is just that. I mean, you know, you, and you've seen, you, we, we've all seen businesses where, you know, you, you can tell it's just a, a great place to work. And, and, and you're right. I, it's, it's funny you say that because it, do, it doesn't matter what type of business culture, culture really, really does make a difference. It, especially when you're going to go through a process like this, that, that will, I don't know if it adds value or if it adds the, the more marketability. You know, maybe it, maybe both, a little bit of both. Um, all right. You, you touched on, I was going to ask this later on in, in our conversation, but one of the questions was EBITDA. You know, you were talking about CapEx and, and it is always, I mean, a monster battle. And I know you, you face it too. We, when, when I'm doing business valuation work, uh, anything asset intensive, especially in a trucking environment, you know, they're, you just can't add all that depreciation. So I, I guess is there when you look at it, how how are you looking at depreciation? Because everybody's looking at that EBITDA multiple is their value. I think what we try to do on the front of a, of a process is we're we're trying to anticipate what is an educated buyer. How are they going to look at this uh, ongoing mm-hmm. capex expense, and how is that going to influence the way that they? approach valuation. And so, um, you know, we're, we're modeling that out on the, on the front end and we're trying to anticipate like, okay, what, what had historically has been the CapEx commitment maybe over the previous five years and based on the growth track, like what's, what's just, what's like, you know, for new equipment and what's for replacement CapEx, but it's two very different things, growth CapEx versus replacement CapEx. And so, so, so we're trying to look at that and making sure that we're keeping it consistent with what they've done. I think that that helps make a defensible case when we're when we're marketing the business. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. And and then and when we do that, when we when the buyer can see like this is what's consistent, I mean, they may handle it differently. They may do everything different in terms of how they manage their fleet. But as long as we have a defensible case, I mean, we can you know. What we can do is we can remove the obstacles that would prevent someone from engaging and making an offer. And what I what I try to tell people is like when we're talking with our clients is that whether it is, you know, a part of a, a very thoughtful process or if it's just kind of, you know, engineered into right. the mindset of sure. a buyer, there's like, well, hey, given what I think it's going to be, this is where we're going to. It's kind of baked into it. But what we want to make sure is that our clients understand that whether they communicate it well or not, like 
it's, it's all a part of the way that the buyer thinks about the deal. And of course, and then we also demonstrated from like, hey, as they're making these offers, we're showing them like, what is the, in a traditional deal structure, like what is their net, net, net after debt service, after CapEx is added post-transaction, we kind of walk them through the years one through five. So they're like, oh, wow, there's not a whole lot of cushion there. I understand kind of where they're coming from. So I'm going to push hard, but clearly like I can't push past this point because I wouldn't do that deal. Right. There's no like, yeah, no, no, there's no way. So I I think it just comes with educating and modeling using the tools that we have and developed to anticipate how buyers are going to think about it and um, using the relationships we know in terms of how they manage their fleets. And so when we get to the point where we're having that discussion, we've got both the buyer and the seller in a place where, we're talking apples yeah. to apples. Um, and then, you know, we're yeah. in, in a good environment to try to get a meeting of the minds. Well, and and you're right. And and the funny thing is it's hard it's hard to argue CapEx. I mean, it just is it's a it's a real I mean, you have to have it. And 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 it's funny that, you know, so often sellers are, you know, they you know, they stop the CapEx, you know, and and you probably see it regularly you know they 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 kind of take their foot off the gas no pun intended and and they start you know stop doing the things that they historically have done in anticipation that the the buyer isn't going to you know it it's just kind of gonna gloss over it and then they don't understand when they get that value penalty for you know for the for the cost to cure the you know the the insufficiencies of of the fleet so I, I'm yeah. with you there. I, I I just thought I just thought there was like a, a a magic number. Yeah, like you know what we take thirty percent of uh, the EBITDA or the the depreciation, and that that's roughly about what where it should be. But I I I I, I didn't think it was going to be that easy. <laughs> no, and honestly, like some people would say, like, hey, we just replaced a huge portion of our fleet, so really, there's going to be no material capex for years one and two. Um, but but this is when it will start. And so like so then we'll start modeling that out the same way. Like like we just won't have anything hitting you know that that, that P and L until maybe year three of that post transaction model. Either yeah. way, like I, I think that the when we're trying to do pre sale education, the main thing that we're trying to instill into all business owners in this space is like this is not something that you can kind of work the system. Like you're not gonna right. kind of sneak this one under the like uh, in, in, in like that, the buyer's not going to notice it. Like so, like in, in, in yeah. if you're dealing, and yeah. if you're dealing with someone that doesn't understand it, you probably don't want to do a deal with that person. So, no, that's, so that's um, a great point. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I, I, what's what's best is is like, hey, you know, take care of your business, keep doing the things that you need to do. You're not going to outsmart the system. Um, you know, an educated buyer is going to know that there's deferred capex, and it will be accounted for in the way that they value the business. I got it. The um, okay. The I wanted to ask you about owner operators versus versus um, you know just general employees. I mean, what? How does how is that playing into into everything? I mean, is well, it good? I, or I think what happens is like. Most fleets, once you get to a certain level, um, they appreciate having some type of hybrid model of having both employee drivers and independent contractors. And what was interesting um, 
during the recession, I mean, the, the, the rates, I mean, the amount of money that could be made in freight was just enormous. So you had just right. thousands, thousands of drivers, employee drivers peel off and become independent, independent contractors because they were, you know, they wanted a larger piece of this bigger pot. And then immediately when the freight market softened, they, you know, a huge surge of those folks coming back because they want that employee model. They want the protection of the employee model and the benefits and everything else that comes with that. So what I see is that business owners that are serious about building and protecting business value, it just makes sense to have um, a little bit of a hybrid model that allows you to flex and to be a little bit more agile given what's happening in the market. And, and so, That's a good point. so, so uh, most fleets at this point, I mean, um, I would say even like five to 10 years ago, some people had hard positions about, you know, we are only yeah. independent contractors or we are only employee model drivers, but that's just not realistic anymore. I mean, you got to move freight and you got to do whatever you can. So like to, to have every tool in your tool belt is, is pretty key right now to make sure that you're, you know, staying ahead of the pack. Well, I know some of the people that are going to be listening to this are sub 30 million. I know that's kind of the floor for you guys. I mean, what do they do? I mean, uh, I mean, is it more of a situation that, you know, you know, look for succession or is there look for synergy? What 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 are the, the smaller businesses to do? Yeah, I think this happens quite a bit. I, I think what the deal is, it's not that we can't. We're just like we're just like trucking companies. We know like the like trucking company knows that they can only haul something across the country if they can meet costs and make profits. So for us, it's the same thing. Like, like you know, the, the conversations that I'll have with folks sure. is that we'll do everything that we can to help point them in the, in the right direction. Um, but what we don't want to do is inject ourselves into a process where it becomes cost prohibitive based off, you know, sure. some of these mark for smaller companies, by the time you pay off all the equipment debt from the deal, you know, maybe there's not a ton left right. uh, for these owners. And so what we don't want to do is to, you know, uh, compound that challenge by, by, by putting ourselves and our fixed expenses into that process. But usually what I do, we have tremendous resources of education. We want to make sure that we connect them with that. Uh, we'll provide some guidance for folks to try to get a deal done directly with a buyer, or we will refer them to folks within that local market um, that might have different types of networks and contacts that might be a better fit yeah. for a smaller operator that, yeah. you know, may appeal to folks that maybe want to have a tr trucking company that wouldn't be necessarily be on a national network radar like us, but, but, but maybe that might be a better fit. Yeah. That's usually what we do. And that's what I would encourage. Use our education. Um, and then we're happy to make recommendations if we know competent business brokers within that local market that could provide a different type of value and experience to, to get where they want to go. I get it. One quick question. I'm getting ready to bump up on 410 my time. You, you're, you're, that's your hard stop, isn't it? Yes, sir. Okay. So I'm going to mark this clip that I just interrupted. All right. So since we're coming to the end, um, I guess one of the things, uh, two questions. One, I wanted to ask you, or I was asked to ask you, yeah, will we see you know the Teslas of the of the semis out on the road, and how far away is it? And is it going to make any difference? So that's my first question. Any thoughts? Uh, on that? I think there's still a bit. I mean, there's the, the technology is is uh, accelerating fast. It, it, it's inevitable. It yep. is coming. 
Um, I mean, some of that's already there. I mean, they're out there, but in terms of like actually having, yeah. um, you know, that um, as, as part of normalcy in terms of what happens in freight, I, we're still a ways from that. But but I, I think that the the developments are very right. exciting for for what this means yeah. for for the industry. Um, and I'm excited too. I mean, I, I have questions just yeah. like you in terms of what that's going to mean. But yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we, you know, but, but but what's interesting about as as well, kind of where I see where we're at right now, we have a lot of different enhancements and some developments. But mm-hmm. with each of those new developments, creates more questions in terms of um, sure. support infrastructure. How do we do these things? And and and, and so that there's a there's there's an idea and there's a desire to um, I think a, a broad desire to to see electrification um, ASAP in this space. But in terms yeah. of the reality is, is uh, infrastructure wise, we got a long ways to go before we're going to be seeing that widespread. Amen to that. Well, what's the, what is, I ask this about every guest I've had on for the last 80 episodes. So what, what is the one piece of advice you would give to, you know, these, these business owners that are, that uh, would have the most impact on, on their business? You know, I think that I get really inspired from our clients um, when they set out on this new adventure, once they exit and they start doing new things. And so I think a lot of folks stay in the business too long because they don't have a vision for that next chapter. And so what my advice is that you need to lock arms with people that have gone through the process before and learn from what they're doing. I've had clients that like they've used the money from their proceeds. They basically created their own family office and now they're like their own private equity group. I mean, they're investing in deals and and some have just done phenomenal things from a, from a charitable giving standpoint, you know, funding ministries in Africa and Haiti and, and doing all kinds of things that they never dreamed that they would be able to do. And so I I think it's that inspiring, that type of bold action, I think is what allows somebody that's two years away from a sale to get focused and saying like, I need to get my stuff together so I can go experience what they're doing because too many times. And I'm sure you've experienced this Ed. it's just like, they're like, I'm done. I've had it but they didn't do any of the work to go maximize their sale and they leave money on the table. So that's my recommendation is go lock arms with some people that you really see doing great things, um, following their exit and learn from them uh, and and, and start developing that vision. Uh, And and I think that number one, you'll be much more prepared and you'll have a better exit and you'll just, you know, be able to start this new chapter of life uh, much sooner. Uh, and, and on much firmer footing as well. That's fabulous advice. So, Spencer, where where can people find you? Uh, best place, just our website, uh, the dot com. But I would also uh, follow us on LinkedIn or my personal or, or the Tenny Group's profile. We have tons of white papers, uh, our podcast uh, in the hot seat, which we you know just kind of talk about transportation and M and A and all the things. Uh, just really fascinating guests. But those are those are really great places to kind of stay in tune with the work that we're doing. Got it. Well, I'll have all of that in the show notes and, and you, and you seriously undersold your website because it truly does have so much content, so much educational opportunities. I mean, most of my questions came, came, uh, some of my questions came right off your website. So again, um, I, I, I'm, 
I'm so grateful for the opportunity to visit with you. And I know you don't have a lot of time, but I'm, I'm certainly grateful for how much you spent with us today. So thanks for joining me. Thank you, Ed. And, and, and let's, let's figure out how to do some deals together down the road. Thank you for joining us today on the How to Sell Your Business podcast. If you want more episodes packed with strategies to help sell your business for the maximum value, visit howtosellabusinesspodcast.com for tips and best practices to make your exit life-changing. Better yet, subscribe now so you never miss future episodes. This program is copyrighted by MISO Inc. All rights reserved.